0: Grab your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 as we continue with our series, Developing a Mature Faith. And today we're going to look at how God responds to hoarders and answers the prayers of harvesters. When you get there, say amen. Are mouth eaten? Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of laborers who mold your fields, which you kept back by fraud. They are crying against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You may be seated in the name of Jesus how God responds to hoarders and answers the prayers of harvesters. One day, while watching television, I went to the TV guide, and as I scrolled through the possibilities the, that were in front of me, I came up on a channel that is called a and TV. And on that station, they had a show that was named Hoarders. A hoarder is a a person who acquires possessions that they most likely will not use, but refuse to give away. And this show showed how People were living in misery even though they were in the midst of a lot of stuff. This accumulation of things oftentimes got in their way of everyday living. They had junk just piled up that they had never used, and many of them forgot was there. This hindered them from washing dishes. This hindered them sometimes from being able to go to the restroom. This hindered them from being able to move in the, in the way that they should have been able to move. These hoarders were victims of their own possessions. James here in James chapter 5 is dealing with hoarders. God is using him to speak to people who are habitually storing up treasures on this earth. Look at verse number three. He says, You have laid up treasures, the last part of that verse. You have laid up treasures in the last days. You have stored up, he says, you are, are hoarding. you are, are just accumulating things. And he says, in the last days. Now whenever the biblical authors write and whenever they talk about the last days, what they are saying is the days after Christ died and was raised. Ever since our Lord ascended into the heavens, we have been living in the last days. And some people would say that we are actually living in the latter part of the last days. James is saying to these rich people, he is calling them out for their hoarding. He is is calling them out for their lifestyle. Look at verse 5. He says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You know, I read a magazine article recently that talked about an, uh, a, a wealthy old sultan from the Middle East. And this article talked about how this wealthy man and this, this rich man, how, how luxurious his life was and how, how he had everything that a man could want. But, but it talked about how he went on a spending spree. That was just outrageous. And in one week, he spent over $1.5 million. In one week, he purchased 19 Cadillacs and then paid extra for them to be stretched out a little longer. (laughs) In one week, he bought two Porsches and six Mercedes Benz. In one week, he spent $40,000 on a speedboat and then paid extra money for a truck to carry it. In one week, he bought 16 refrigerators. In that that same week, he bought $47,000 worth of women luggage for his multiple wives. In one week, that same week, He bought two Florida grape trees and one slot machine. And after spending $1.5 million for the stuff, he then turned around in that same week and spent $194,000 for carrying the stuff, having it delivered to his home. James... Is talking to these type of people. These rich people who have this, this, this great possession, who have this luxurious life, this these people who are constantly storing up stuff, storing up things, these, these people who are, are living off of the fat of the land. He is calling them out. We don't have to go to the Middle East to find hoarders, do we? We don't have to go to a rich old sultan to, to find hoarders, do we? Right here in America, there is, has been reported that there are 8,000 people who make over $100 million. Or who have $100 million. And out of those 8,000 8, people who have $100 million, only 2% of their income goes to charities or to religious organizations. 2% of $100 million per year is spent on charitable charitable places or churches. Somebody say hoarders. Storing up things. Storing up possessions. Storing up their treasures on this earth. Hoarders. And, And let's face it. The problem with these people it's not that they have money. But the problem with people like this is that they love money. You remember what Paul told his young protege protégé in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10? What did he say? He said, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. See, the Bible is not condemning money. Money in itself is not evil. James is not condemning people who have wealth. The Bible talks about uh, many patriarchs and and, and biblical people who were, who pleased God with their lifestyles and who were well off. The Bible talks in Proverbs about the the ant. He says, consider the ways of the ant and how the ant is a a good steward of what God has and how he he stores up for the winter months. Having money, having possessions is not the problem, but what your possessions have you when you love money, that's the issue. A man who can go out and spend $1.5 million is a man who is in, in love with money. And when we love money, and we, we worship money. And any time we find ourselves worshiping anything or anybody other than God, it's idolatry. And idolatry is satanic. God wants people to sell out for, uh, Satan wants people to sell out for money. Uh, He wants people to become worshipers of things, to become hoarders, to to live their lives seeking to become rich and and wealthy. You remember uh, Jesus after he was baptized and after God pronounced him and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You remember what the Bible says. The Bible says that God led Jesus into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And you remember when he was in the wilderness, how Satan came and tempted him and, and, and tried to wear him down and you remember how Satan took him to a high mountain and told Jesus, Jesus look if you would just bow down and if you would just worship me all these things that you see they will be yours you remember how Jesus spoke the word of God how Jesus refused to be a hoarder. How, how Jesus refused to get off his life's purpose and his life intentions for some, some monetary things. You remember how he told Satan, he says, God has not called me to, to worship you. He says, he, he quoted Moses about how we should only worship the Lord our God and worship him only. There have been people who have sold their souls to Satan for money. You don't believe me? You don't believe me? You're a diehard, huh? Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg and Dog, Calvin Broadus, <laughs> in his autobiography, called The Godfather, or The Dogfather, one of them. Probably the dog father, because everything he do has to do with a dog. Amen. So we'll go there. He talked about how there was a time in his life where he almost lost his life and how Satan came to him. And, and Satan told him that if he would just worship him, if he would just live his life for him, that he would make him rich and make him wealthy and allow his career to take off. In his own words, he admitted that that day he sold his soul to Satan. He said that is the day that Calvin Broaddus died and Snoop Dogg became alive. For you hip-hop heads... You know, it's the truth. If you go and listen to one of his first songs that made him famous, which was called Murder is the Case that They Gave Me, the whole song is about this transaction, how he willingly sold his soul to Satan for wealth. And I can get off the snoop dog and move to some other people. And I'm talking about people who have admitted it, who have went on record and said it. DMX in a song with Marilyn uh, Manson uh, song uh, did the same thing. Tupac Shakur in The Good Life admitted the same thing, that he, he gave up the life that he knew he was supposed to be living, that he sold his soul for wealth. Paul told Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil. But see, a lot of times we like to stop there. But that's not what Paul stopped in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. If you continue to read it, the, the, the apostle Paul says this, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Oh, my, 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 my. Paul said that, that it's not the world, just the world that has problems with hoarding. <laughs> but he says some Christians get funny when they get a little money. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He says some Christians, when they, when they get a new house, they have a tendency to, to, to stop coming to corporate worship because they got to paint the house that God blessed them with. And, and, and you know how we get a little funny with money sometimes. Sometimes when we get a little change in our pocket, we have a tendency to change. The love of money is the root. Of all kinds of evil. And it is for this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Jesus. After ministering to a young rich ruler. Young rich ruler denied him because he was a hoarder. Living a life of of self-indulgence. Because he wanted to live the good life after he denied Christ and, and turned his back on Christ because Christ was not his treasure. You remember what Jesus said? He said it is, more, it is it's going to be extremely difficult for a, a rich man to inherit heaven. He said it's going to be like a camel trying to get through the eye of a needle. Now, he didn't say that it was impossible, but he said it was difficult. Because the more things that a person possesses, the, the more possessions that a, a person has that they store up and that they hoard, the, the more I, I, I've come to know, the more that their heart tends to wander from God because they become less dependent on God because they think that money can get them everything that they want. Money can get you a lot of things, baby, but money can't get you peace. Acts, Britney Spears. Money can get you a lot of things, but money cannot get you a good man. Ex-Madonna. Money can get you a lot of... Come on, somebody. A lot of things, but money can't buy you character. Ex-Tiger Woods. Who said that? Love of money, the root of all evil. Many people... Have, have have become hoarders living their life for their, their money and that's why I've come to a, a place where I, I've really come to respect and to admire the proverb, Proverbs chapter 30 verse 8 and 9, I come to really admire what that, 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 that writer of that proverb has to say when he cried out to the Lord and prayed a powerful prayer, he said Lord give me neither poverty or riches, feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be Full and deny you and say who is the Lord Amen. or at least I be poor and the Lord give me and, and, I, and, and I am caused to steal from others and profane the name of God that was a wise man that man prayed he said Lord give me what I can handle and that's a wise prayer. Lord, Lord, don't don't if I can't handle a Mercedes-benz, Lord, don't give me a Mercedes-benz. If I can't handle a, a five-bedroom house with a, a four-car garage, Lord, don't give me a five-car. Lord, give me enough. Give me just enough that Lord, i where I, I'm constantly seeking you, but I don't have to worry about, about stealing from somebody else. Lord, give me what I can handle. And God is faithful, isn't it? Uh-huh? The Lord will give us what we can handle. And some of us in here, we need to praise God. We need to just stop and shout that God has not answered some of our prayers. Let's be a song that say, "Praise God for unanswered prayers. <laughs> oh, praise God that He didn't give you that man that you wanted, who turned out to be no good. <laughs> Praise God that he didn't give you that woman that you was lusting after that turned out to be no good. Praise God for unanswered prayers. Touch a neighbor and say, you need to just pray, Lord, give me what I can handle, Lord. <laughs> James, chapter 5, verse 1, we see James calling out the rich through God. God here calls hoarders to weep. Look, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are are coming upon you. He calls them to weep. He he calls them to cry out. And this isn't the first time throughout the Bible that God has called the rich, the wealthy to weep. Often throughout the prophetic literature, we see that prophets are, are condemning people who are living high and lofty while, while Israel or Judah is struggling. You remember what Amos said? Amos, y'all remember Amos? Have anybody ever read the book of Amos? Don't get to heaven and not know who Amos is. Some little guy going to walk up to you and say, hey, I'm Amos. You're going to say, who, are, who is Amos? And remember what Amos said in Amos chapter 6 verse Verse number four, he says, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory, woe, and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from their flocks and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent themselves instruments of music, who who drink wine and bowls and and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. He says, woe to you. Then listen to what he says. He says, therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile and and, and those who stretch themselves out shall say, get away from us. The prophetic uh, uh, literature is full of woes to hoarders, people who are just living for themselves. In fact, Jesus calls the the same thing in Luke chapter 6, verse 24. He says, woe to the rich, woe to the rich. Woe means curse, curse to the rich, for they have received their consolation. Now, we know that these woes, these warnings, these curses, it's not just to people who are rich, but to people who treasure their possessions. It's not just to everyone who has money. This is not, this is not, not just the, the, the rule. This is, uh, uh, he's calling out people who, who are in love with their possessions. And who are living lives of indulgence while the people around them are suffering. Why does James call these people to weep. Look at verse 2. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. James calls these people to weep. He calls them to cry because he said that your your riches are are rusting. They're, They're corroding. Now we know that gold does not corrode. It does not rust. But what he's saying is, is that it's losing value. It's losing its importance. He says weep. He says cry. He says, he, says, he says cry out because the very thing that you have put your trust in is losing its value. Now, what's interesting about this claim is, is that uh, most theologians, in well, the way that you date James, most theologians say that 10 to 15 years after this was written is when Rome came and overtook Jerusalem. Rome came and, and, and began to oppress the Jews. So these Jews that James is warning here in this passage, he's telling them, woe to you. He says that your money is losing its importance, is, is losing its value. This, 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 this very warning came true some 10 to 15 years later. As the ones who would have been reading this or would have heard this from another pari- parishioner at a, at a local synagogue who was sitting there with his wealth just 10 years later will look at his wealth being taken away by another man. You know, my father used to tell me, he said, boy, don't fall in love with things. He said, don't fall in love with a house. Don't fall in love with a car. Don't fall in love with your possessions. He says, because when you die, it's going to be somebody else's. I don't think it's an accident or that it's a coincidence that during recessions, and specifically during the Great Depression, that suicide rates go up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember when this recession really started uh, kicking in a high speed about uh, five or six years ago, and, and one day watching CNN, and it was talking about how uh, many wealthy people were co- attempting suicide and killing themselves. Why would a rich person try and attempt to, to kill themselves? Because uh, their their heart their their heart was ripped from them. Their heart was their tr- was their money, and the Bible says that wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. They jump off of buildings and kill themselves because the only reason that they were really living was was for their possessions. When your treasure. Is something that is non eternal. When your treasure is something that can rust or fade away. When your treasure is someone that has a heartbeat, you are setting yourself up for failure wherever your treasure is the Bible says, there your heart will be also that's why I like this memory verse of the month that the Lord put on my heart and that we selected because in Psalms chapter 73 verse 25 to 26 uh, uh, Asaph makes it very clear where his treasure is, where his heart is, he says whom have I in heaven but you and there is nothing that on earth that I desire besides you, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. And this is in the midst of a psalm in which in the beginning of a psalm, he's looking at what everybody else has. And then he shakes himself off and say, man, what am I thinking? uh, uh that's not my treasure. My treasure is in the Lord. And there's somebody in here today who needs to, to switch treasures. <laughs> Who needs to make a, a bank account exchange? Somebody here has their treasure in chase when it ought to be in Christ. Somebody has their treasure in a person, and I know how it feels, baby. I, I've put my hope and, and my investment in people before, but let me tell you a little secret if you haven't already found it out. People are fragile, uh, people will love you one minute. And hate on you the next. People will smile in your face and stab you in the back. And some will smile in your face and stab you in the front. People will kiss you and betray you with the same lips. Oh, I've been there. I've put my treasure in people before. I know what it's like to be broken. I, I put my treasure in a young woman before. For four long years. Four long, long, long years. When you put your treasure in somebody who isn't worth your treasure. Those years seem real long. Then when she walked out, I was messed up. And then I went from putting my treasure into her and said, Well, I can't put it in a person, so maybe I'll put it in things. So I tried to start... Being that guy who was always looking good and always looking nice. Went out and got a credit card in college. Said, I want to be the one that's popping at the party. I want the attention when I walk in the door. Maxed out the car. Two years later, paying for something that I made a purchase for. Jersey don't even fit no more. Shoes are old and corroded and looking nasty. Put my treasure in things before. I've I've attempted to put my treasure in, in stuff that will make me forget about the moment before. I know what it feels like. But I'm here to tell you today, if you are putting your treasure in anything and anyone other than Christ, you are setting yourself up for failure. I promise you, you are. People get tired of you. People get tired of themselves. And then blame you. Now I'm not saying you can't trust someone. I'm saying we should not worship a person. We should not put our hearts investment in that person. That's what David said. Put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. But blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord. The one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea. The Lord who will always reign. Found out. Put our hope in people. Put our trust in people. We'll be messed up afterwards. Can't put your hope and trust in something that can be hurt. Hurt people hurt people. You gotta put your trust in something that's above that. <laughs> Ah, uh, something something that's eternal, something that does not grow old or grow tired, something that's long suffering and, and kind and, and merciful, something that, that someone that will forgive you and love you when you don't love yourself. You have got to put your trust in a rock and a refuge and a in a strong tower. You you've gotta learn to put your trust in that thing that will not fail. And in case you don't know it, that, that thing is a person, it's God, a a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all existing in one with the same nature, the one who called the earth into motion and the one who created Adam and Eve and and the one who gave David a song and... and Here in this text we see God exposing how hoarders receive their wealth. Look at your word. Verse 4, how do they receive their wealth? How do these Rich people whom James is going to receive it. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mold your fields, which you kept back by fraud. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. <clears throat> God here is pulling back the covers and exposing those people who are in high places. And he's calling them out through James. (laughs) He says, James, this is how they're getting over. There's people out there working in the fields. And these rich people, they're not paying them what they deserve. And we don't have to go back some 2,000 years to feel this illustration or application, do we? Uh, God has been doing some exposing in the last 10 years, hasn't he? It's been some five hundred uh, uh, some 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 big uh, uh, companies that uh, that that have been exposed uh, for not dealing fairly and 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 their workers can't get a raise but all the executives get a raise. Uh, God has been doing some exposing, hasn't He? He's done some exposing with some politicians who take tax collectors' money and who live a life that is above their their means. He's done some exposing, hasn't He? He, he's he's exposed some, some prosperity preaching uh, preachers and, and put their mess out on television. Some people who are, are who are who are preaching a false hope to people and getting them to give their last while they live on the other side of town, driving a Bentley. What is a preacher doing with a Bentley? God God has a way of exposing, don't He? He has a way. Uh, of showing people what's really going on, what's the thing behind the thing, doesn't he? He has a way of exposing fraud. says, look at you, living the high life. They're not paying the people who are making you the money. He says, look at your fraud. Recently, I was invited to see a a movie uh, premiere that was done by a ministry called Life in Abundance, a ministry that is called to reach out to the poorest places of the world and give them hope through the gospel, a ministry that is, is dedicated even more specifically to Africa. And in this this, this this film, which was called This Is My Normal, it was a, a documentary about the people of Nairobi, Kenya, which lived in the slums. There were four million people that were living in what was called, in what they called slums. Uh, four million people in, in really a, a radiance or, or a circumference of maybe uh, a four miles. They were living on top of each other. This film broke my heart. It broke my heart to see uh, four million people using one river supply for everything. They use this river for for everything. They they use the same river to 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 bathe in that they used as a, a source of waste management. They they got the the water from this river uh, was also used to cook their food. Uh, 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 it was just, just just one river that ran through the slums that they used for everything. They would look at the river in the morning to see if it was a, a spot that was clean where there wasn't any waste coming and run and, and take a bath and then come out. And this was their normal. They lived in 10 by 10, tents. The average person to a 10 was 10 people living on top of each other. But perhaps one of the saddest things was that that most of them were unemployed. And the ones who were employed, they had to leave the slums to, to work. But they talked about how many times once they got their paychecks and when they would come back into the slums, they would get jumped by other people and wouldn't be able to take their money to their family. This film broke my heart. But perhaps, perhaps, we can learn some lessons from situations like this. One of the girls in the film really moved my heart as she talked about how all she wanted to do was finish school. But she talked about how the average family only makes $1,000 all year. And how school, a semester of school, costs $300. But the average family had eight kids and couldn't send everybody to school so they normally would choose one and hope that that one would bring money and and help the family to get out the slums. But then the film showed how the rich in Nairobi, showed how the politicians in Nairobi had set up a system to keep these people poor while making themselves rich. They showed vendors coming right outside of the slums and, and setting up little grocery shops And in these grocery shops, they charged the people who were in the slums more money for items than they did for regular citizens in the town. More money, and these poor people got less than the rich people who were paying less but getting more. This is the type of person that James is calling out. These are the type of people that God is angry with. These are are people who are are living off of other people committing fraud and injustice. But James condemns them for a second injustice in this text. And he condemns them in verse 6. He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He's now condemning the rich not just for the fraud. Not just for having people to work for hardly nothing while the executives are getting richer. But then he says, I'm condemning you because uh, your court system is messed up. You are constantly condemning the the righteous person. Now there's no doubt in my mind who James had in mind or who, who he possibly had in mind when he wrote this. Because James had a brother, you see. And his brother... His name was Jesus. And the Bible talks about how Jesus was a righteous person. And how Jesus was without sin. But you know Jesus had some haters. He had some people that were in high places that wanted to get rid of him. And the Bible talks about how Jesus went to five different courtrooms, five different trials and didn't get justice out of neither one. Sometimes we have a tendency to think that, that God has forgotten about people who are, are being oppressed by other people. But we want to remind ourselves that God has not forgotten about the least of these. <laughs> uh, uh, the next thing we see here is that God will point to the corrosion of their wealth as a witness against them on the day of judgment. Look at verse number 3. Look at what's coming to these wealthy people, to these rich people who are making a a life off of of poor people. Look what happens. The word says, your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a, a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. We see that throughout this text, as we just read, that the God is is constantly pointing to to the day in which that that their own possessions will will testify against them. He says that your corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. A lot of rich people, people who oppress people, think that they're getting away with it, and they think that they have a right to, to be oppressive. But James reminds them that, that one day judgment will come. And judgment will come two ways. He says that one day you will look at your possessions and you will see that your possessions will not help you. They will not save you. They will testify of your foolishness on the day of judgment. Can you imagine this scene as Christ is returning and all those who have lived above and beyond what they were supposed to live in in luxury and self-indulgence? Can you imagine them before a king who does not care about their wealth and their capital and who points to their wealth and their capital as a witness against them? It says, you see that house that you purchased for 2.5 million dollars? And had eight bedrooms for and, and wouldn't let not a nan person stay there. You you see those eight cars that just sat in your garage that you chose to pull out when the weather was a, a certain temperature. You 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 see these animals that you just had walking around your house and, and feeding them daily while there are orphans down the street who don't have food. You do 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 you see your foolishness? On the day of judgment, it will testify against them. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, that, that on the day of judgment, there will be some questions. What, uh, 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 why didn't you come and visit me when I was in prison? Why why you didn't clothe me when I was naked? Why? It says, you have fattened, verse 5, your hearts on the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, you have fattened your hearts. Uh, this is a picture he's given us of a, of a hog who is eating all that he can, fattening himself, eating the slop, enjoying it, looking at another hog and smiling. saying, We've got the good life. But little do they know that in just a little bit of time, they will go and be slaughtered. Oh, there are some people who need to know that one day they will be slaughtered for the way that they have treated the orphan and the widow, for the way that they have treated the senior citizens, for the way that they have treated the low caste of society. See, this text right here reminds us of a couple important things. And the first thing that it reminds us is that God sees how the greedy uh, treat the needy and that the greedy will not go on forever without being condemned for the way that they treat the needy. God sees it. But the second thing it reminds us is that God hears the prayers of the harvesters. In this text, we see that the Bible says in verse number four, the cries of the harvesters harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now, now that's interesting. The cries of a harvester, who are these harvesters? These harvesters are the people who have worked for the wealthy, but who were not being paid for their wealth for, for their work. And and the Bible says that the cries of the harvesters are, are reaching the ears of the Lord And, and, and that, that, that the Lord is hearing their prayers and, and that the Lord is hearing their cries and, and it's, this is, this is interesting this is really good because God is so consistent as i was reading this I, my mind went back to exodus chapter 1 and and it reminded me how there were some more harvesters some some people who were called the children of israel and how they were under slavery and in the captivity in egypt and how pharaoh were was being a, a harsh taskmaster and and how he was uh, making them work and and how he was how he was oppressing them in some really bad ways, but but you know, the Bible talks about how God heard the prayers of Israel, and how the prayers of Israel reached his ears, and and the Bible talks about how God began to work, and how God began to move, and, and God began to raise up a man by the name of Moses a man who most people would consider a basket case and and God allowed Moses to be raised in in Pharaoh's household and and Moses for 40 years got a great education and and received the top of the line treatment but but one day God touched Moses' heart and, and allowed Moses to see the injustices that were going on in society and the Bible talks about how then Moses went and He he actually killed a man because he just got so upset, so he ran for his life. For 40 years, he was in the wilderness uh, living as a nomad, but, but God had a purpose for Moses. He, he took the first 40 years of Moses' life, his education, and he said, I'm going to use that education and, and allow you to communicate and write some books called the Torah. And then he took the next 40 years of Moses' life and said, I'm going to use your education in the hood. I'm going to use what you learned in the wilderness and I'm going to have you come and deliver my people because the prayers of the righteous avail of much. I, I can just see some people in Israel as they were making bricks without straw. I can I can see them making bricks and and groaning and praying and saying, Lord, when are you going to help us, Lord? Do you not see us? Lord, when are you going to deliver us? Can you see them? I can see them singing songs of of Zion, praying that that God would reveal himself to them. But you know, as I I read this, my mind then went uh, to something that that many of you may relate of, and and, and some of you in here may may really uh, care about it. It it reminded me of of a people who were uh, taken from Africa and who was uh, brought here to the United States and, and it reminded me of a, of a people who were oppressed and put in cotton fields and, and who were were reaping cotton but not getting paid for it and, and who were being beaten and, and treated in all kind of ways and, and it reminded me of how my grandmother used to tell me about her great grandmother and how they used to sing while in the cotton field and, and pray that the Lord would deliver them it, it reminded me about how God then heard their prayers and, and heard their cries and and eventually gave them freedom in the United States. But but then it reminded me about a movement called the Civil Rights Movement, how even though they were free in the states, they still did not have equality. They, they still were being mistreated. They, they still were being put in the back of the bus. They, they still wouldn't be able to eat at the same tables that other people could eat at. And it reminded me about how God heard their cries, and, and God began to raise up some people type of people that he raised up. He, he raised up some W.E.B. Du Boises. He, he raised up some James Bevels. He, he raised up some Diana Nashes. He, he raised up some Dick Gregory's. He, he raised up some Harry Balafantes. He, he raised up a Rosa Parks. He, he raised up a Martin Luther King. Who came with the message of Amos saying let let justice roll like waters and and righteousness like like the mighty streams. God hears the prayers of harvesters. I don't care where you are. I don't care how broke you are. I don't care if you don't have a job. Lift your head high and begin to cry out to the Lord. For the Lord said I will supply all of your needs. But that's not the only prayers that were answered. I'm taking back to a greater story. A story that is way more powerful. A story of a person named Simeon who was one day in the temple. And the Bible says that this man was a righteous man. He was devout and he was waiting on the consolation of Israel. He was waiting on the one that Isaiah talked about. He was waiting on the one that Jeremiah looked forward to. He was waiting on the one that his parents would have so enough told him about. And this man one day was led by the Holy Spirit to go into the temple. And when he went into the temple, the Bible says that he saw a man and a woman with a little baby my God. And and the Bible talks about how this man under the unction of the Holy Spirit looked at this baby and knew that Israel's hope was among him. And the Bible talks about how this man then anointed Christ and called and told everybody that this is the Lord. This is Christ. And in that same temple, there was a prophetess by the name of Anna. And the Bible says that Anna was a broken woman. That Anna had lost her husband. That Anna was in the temple day and night crying out to the Lord. Saying, Lord, I see that your people are in bondage. Lord, when are you going to bring a deliverer? And the Bible says that that God allowed Anna to see the deliverer. And the deliverer's name was Jesus. Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus came down 42 generations. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger. He wasn't born in a nice hotel. He wasn't born at the Trump Towers. He wasn't born as a wealthy person. But he came and he lived among us. Jesus was from a place called Nazareth. A place that they said was no good. A place that where there was no help. But the Bible says that Jesus was sent by God. After fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them, not just those who were socially oppressed. But those who are spiritually oppressed, Jesus came to solve a bigger problem. Jesus came that the lame might see. Jesus came that the blind might see, and that the lame might walk. Jesus came in order that we would have life and life more abundantly. Jesus came. He heard the prayers of the harvesters, saying, Lord, send your Messiah send uh, consolation of Israel. Lord, uh, we need some help. Uh, we need some relief. Uh, we need some hope. Uh, and Jesus, uh, so enough gives relief. Uh, he so enough gives hope. Uh, I'm so glad. Uh, that my treasure uh, is not in earthly things, uh, but that my treasure uh, is in the Lamb of God. Uh, Jesus uh, is worth my time. Uh, Jesus uh, is worth my effort. Uh, Jesus uh, is worth the pain, baby, because Jesus uh, cares about you more than you uh, could care about yourself. Uh, Let me tell you, uh, What Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus, my liaison. Jesus, my advocate. Jesus, my righteousness. Jesus, my peace. Jesus, my joy. He came, He died, He rose, He ascended with all power. Yeah. Jesus, greater than Moses. Jesus, greater than Elijah. Jesus, greater than John the Baptist. Jesus, greater than Muhammad. Jesus, greater than W.E.B. Du Bois. Jesus, greater than Martin Luther King. Jesus. Yeah. Say, I don't got no money. Well, I don't have a whole lot of money to give you. But what I can give you is Jesus, baby. Money will fade. Money will go away. You can get robbed for your money, but you can't get robbed for Jesus. Jesus can't be taken away. Yeah.